You're listening to the audio program, Host and Guest, hosted by me, Rick Katchke. Now here's myself, Rick Katchke. Yes, welcome to this edition of Host and Guest. I'm your host, Rick Katchke, and on today's show, I am joined by Steve Young. Steve spent 25 years as a comedy writer for both Late Night with David Letterman and The Late Show with David Letterman, and during that time, he discovered industrial musicals which are musicals that were written for corporate sales meetings or conferences, and then records were created as souvenirs for attendees. Steve has become the expert collector of these records, which were never intended for public consumption, and he co-wrote the book Everything is Coming Up Profits, The Golden Age of Industrial Musicals. He was also the star of the documentary Bathtubs Over Broadway, which covers industrial musicals and the individuals who created and performed in them. And if you haven't already seen Bathtubs Over Broadway, I give it my highest recommendation, a must-see from Rick Hatchke. And now, Steve will be coming to Milwaukee on August 31st at the Cooperage to present the live show The Weird and Wonderful World of Industrial Musicals. So ahead of his performance... I spoke with Steve about his career, what led to him becoming an expert in industrial musicals, and what we can expect to see when he comes to Milwaukee on August 31st. So to take us to the interview, here's a taste of My Bathroom from the American Standard musical, The Bathrooms Are Coming. My bathroom, my bathroom is a private kind of place very special kind of place the only place where i can stay making faces at my face my We are so thrilled to have on host and guest Steve Young. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Rick. Looking forward to this one. <laughs> so, Steve, um, I'm always interested in in beginnings. So, uh, how did you get your start as a comedy writer? What was kind of the genesis of that? It was a twisting path. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, like I think many people of my age, had no real idea that television shows had writers and that was a career like yeah you'd see the names go by at the end but you weren't really paying attention even the first time I saw the Letterman show in the early 80s and it just galvanized me and I laughed like an insane person for 20 minutes and I just kind of forgot about it actually I never had that moment of ah this is what I should do with my life that light bulb didn't go on until several years later when I was in college and I was on the humor magazine and I started hearing about people who graduate and go on to work at SNL or write for David Letterman I thought oh my god you can do that yes you can uh it's a very uh hit or miss sort of proposition to get in the door there it certainly wasn't immediate for me but I had number one some shred of talent that could be cultivated and number two no better ideas about what to do so I just ran with it and uh Uh, I guess I got my first job in early 89 when I was like 23, 24, had a few jobs before 
the Letterman deal came up and I was in the right place at the right time, heard that some slots were opening on the writing staff. I had some decent samples by then. I was in New York. And one day I got the call. Uh, it was the head writer, Steve O'Donnell, said, um, liked your stuff very much, thought it was very funny, would love to have you come up to the office and uh, I'll show you around and we'll chat with some people. Dave Letterman might want to say hello. So at that point, it was mine to lose. They just didn't, they wanted to make sure I, I wasn't like uh, an obvious sociopath or that I didn't bathe or any like red flag. So I passed all that. Congratulations. Welcome. That was 1990. Ran with it for 25 years. Wow. So in, in 25 years of working on the show, do you have a favorite moment, either something that you wrote for the show or just a, a favorite moment in general of, you know, it was both the NBC and the CBS show with yeah. Letterman. It, it really is like geological layers of history. It barely seems possible that the show I joined, joined in 1990 was still going 25 years later and very little of it resembled uh, the, the old NBC show. But, uh, well, one highlight was the first time I got to go on the show as a guest promoting the book I'd written about industrial musicals, co-written with a friend of mine. And luckily, it was a regular work day for almost the whole day. I was just running around doing my uh, running the monologue and writing this and editing that. And then, oh, I have to go get ready to be on the show. And it was surreal. But Dave was very uh, welcoming and uh was happy that I was there because it was for a project that had grown out of the show and it went terrifically well. And afterwards he said, I'd like to make this a recurring segment. You should come back. So, so that was just how often does something that good happen in life? And yeah, there were plenty of things I wrote that went terrifically well. And of course there are many, many more that were instantly forgotten, but yeah, there's the Rolodex of, ah, that triumphant moment that you flip through in your head. And I have a few highlights on my uh, website, steveyoungworld.com. And uh, so I've cherry picked just a few highlights, but so much of what we did on that show was funny for that day, for that news cycle. And then probably even a month later, wouldn't quite really have the juice anymore because things had moved on. But I have a few evergreen pieces that I've kept. So through the show, that was how your interest in or discovery of industrial musicals came about. Uh, tell us more. Yeah. So the very first day, April 30th, 1990, a day that will live in infamy, uh, I was walking down the hall, Steve O'Donnell, head writer, trying to find me an office. And he said, how about in here? I, I said, OK, what's this box of record albums on the floor? And he said, oh, the writer who used to have this office now left for the Golden uh, Pastures of California used to run the bit we do called Dave's Record Collection. Uh, actual, weird, funny, unintentionally hilarious records that we'd hold up. And, and he said to me that day, maybe you could be the new Dave's Record Collection guy. And I said, okay. I had no idea what he was talking about. But that was the beginning of what has brought me here today. I would go out and look for strange record albums at thrift shops, used record stores, which there were more of in those days. Anything that seemed just conceptually bizarre that could yield a funny 15 seconds of audio that Dave would have a snappy remark about. And it would be a desk piece, but found item, real material. We could not fake it up. We could not make up records. Dave was very rigorous on that point, and I'm very much in the same ethos. It's only funny if it is truly authentic. But I started coming back from these shopping expeditions with 
records that I could not understand what I was seeing. And I know you know some of these also, like the 1964 Ford Tractor musical performed for 5,300 Ford Tractor personnel at Radio City Music Hall, or the 1976 Exxon Dealer Convention musical. And this seemed like a gift from the comedy gods. Look, we're 90% of the way there already just holding up the record. <laughs> well, we'll get something funny out of it. And the, the songs had weird details about marketing plans or tractor features or how, how uh, our tractors are saving the world or whatever. But they were so well done. Not all of them. Some of them were awful, but the top layer was so shockingly good. And I would be singing these songs to myself weeks later thinking, why is this diesel engine song or this uh, song about selling kids sneakers? Why is this still stuck in my head? That was the genesis of how many more are there? So fast forward 25 years, I've got this enormous bizarre record collection. I've co-written a book. Then there's the documentary film made about my collection and my detective work, which brings me to finding the people who wrote these things finding the people who performed in them and becoming richly entangled with them in a surprising emotional level. It ha has been an, uh, a huge part of my life and it just came out from, we just need some lousy record to make fun of. And it just spiraled way out of control. So uh, what would you estimate the size of your collection is currently? Uh, I have, I'd say a little north of 200 examples, and some of them are quite marginal. Sometimes there's just like a, a seven-inch disc with one song on it. Oh, it's the theme song of the Kroger grocery store fall meeting, or it's the it's uh, something from the the Dupont Chemical 1983 get together, and it's mostly speeches, but there's a little music at the top. Even aside from those, there's still a very large collection that seems large to me anyway of legitimate musicals that are just sometimes full book musicals with a plot about a dissatisfied burned out mcdonald's manager or the tire dealer who doesn't know what he's doing with his life and has to find that old fire again actual book musicals with elaborate casts and props and costumes and music that was to my mind, way better than it should have been. I just thought, what is going on here? But the companies had so much money to throw around and hired terrific people. That's why it ended up being worth a book and then a documentary because it was a huge but completely hidden secret subculture of show business. So I, I know that this is probably very difficult to narrow down, but is there are there one or two musicals that really stand up head and shoulders above the rest, like as your favorites? Oh, Rick, you're feeding me softball questions here. Yes, of course there are. I mean, no, no discussion of the genre is going to be complete without talking about the American Standard Plumbing Fixture musical from 1969, The Bathrooms Are Coming, which not only is the record album that I, that I have here, but as I found out in a shocking twist during the filming of the documentary, a 16 millimeter color film existed and that kind of opened up a whole new level of the inquiry. So that is one of the films that I'm going to be showing when I come to Milwaukee. Uh, another great, great one is uh, I mentioned a minute ago, there's the diesel engine musical. 
and I think you you probably know what that one is. This one. Oh, I have it. I have it right here. Oh, here we go. Here's another double shot of Diesel Dazzle. Diesel Dazzle. Oh yeah. Do you have the stereo pressing or the mono pressing? Oh gosh. Uh does where would it indicate? Uh, on the spine, on the spine, and on the the la label itself. I've got stereo. That is the more common, and of course, of. Uh, I think that does sound probably more satisfying to the average listener. Uh, this is one of my uh, spare copies. I will be bringing some records to Milwaukee to sell at the merch table. This is a relatively uh, uncommon mono pressing. Maybe some audiophiles prefer the mono pressing, but that Diesel Dazzle from 1966, uh, music by my late friend Hank Beebe, who I met when he was about 70, and I luckily caught him. Uh, just as he was entering this golden age of his life, we were friends for 25 years before he died early this year at age 96. Uh, a, not only a great writer and composer, but I would say one of the towering figures in my life in terms of inspiration and wisdom. That's another dimension to this. People think with the documentary, oh, it's just going to be snarky about making fun of this pathetic, weird corporate junk. And there is certainly always that possibility you can go that way but once i started meeting people and realizing these people are way better at what they do than i will ever be at what i would like to do and they had to make a deal with the devil to get good money but no one would ever understand what they did and you might do the best work of your life for a lawnmower musical that will play once at 8 a.m in a hotel ballroom and how do you deal with that as a creator like that you're not really being understood. And then luckily I came along and they got this late vindication, but Diesel Dazzle, one of those early ones I found, I just thought, how can this possibly be real? This is so shatteringly high quality and it's about selling and servicing diesel engines. I just thought I got to get all of this I can find because it is a, a level of comedy so off the charts it's beyond laughing at almost it's just i cannot believe the universe has thrown me this so that's another that's another big kingpin right there diesel dazzle okay let's take a moment and hear a clip from diesel dazzle Yeah, I think with the documentary Bathtubs of Broadway, what I really like about it is that you could easily just have it be, like you mentioned, snarky and, and laughing at. And listen, there are elements that are very funny, just the fact that this stuff exists, but you really like celebrate the artistry behind it. Uh, how did that documentary come to be? Shortly after the book came out in 2013, it's called Everything's Coming Up Profits, which, by the way, is the name of an actual industrial musical a miserable show for a floor tile company that I have in my collection, which I believe to this day is the only known copy of it in the world to have ever surfaced. That's how rare these things are. But the book came out 
and it was uh, a, a really beautifully done compendium of all this stuff. And there was a companion website. And you could hear some songs. And I started getting inquiries from filmmakers. Oh, this seems like a wonderful topic for a documentary. And I thought, well, maybe so. I never really thought about that. But I didn't really know how to judge these potential film partners and what, what I should think about it. My friend Deva Huizenant was an editor at The Letterman Show. She had left for California, was now doing work in the film world, editing. And I said, can you help me? Can you look at these people and see if they're legitimate or if they have the right vibe or whatever? And she said, I don't think they're really the right people for you, but also there's going to be a documentary on this. I want to make it. And I said, oh, my God, well, you got the job. I absolutely believe you get me and my vibe and this will be amazing and thrilling and fun. And I was 100% right. It took four years to make, which is not unusual in documentary filmmaking. I didn't understand that. I was used to writing something at 9 a.m. and having it on the air that night. So that was a shock that, that these timelines are different. But uh, Deva found levels of this story that I didn't even see myself i was too close to it but the way she put it in as oh you think this is going to be snarky but then it's a lesson in american history and psychology and asking questions about how do we value what we've done with our lives how do we connect with each other in a world where it is so easy to be snarky and dismissive how how do we make sense of a world that doesn't understand what we do all these beautiful things she took it to such heights she won so many awards for this documentary and uh i'm anytime i go to a film festival or something people go oh my god you're the bathtubs guy and it, it has rippled out in all directions and i hope uh, i hope we'll have some folks in milwaukee who know the movie and are excited to go deeper but if you've never seen the documentary and you come to the cooperage on august 31st You'll be up to speed very quickly. It's it's not hard to understand, at least in theory, the concept of musicals written for company conventions. And guess what? We have some receipts. We have the films. So that's kind of what the show is going to be. Yeah, for the live show that you're doing in Milwaukee, you're you're showing some of these films. I can't imagine how hard it was to track down the films. How did you discover so many of these films? It's a, a long, slow process of first of all, meeting the people who had worked on these shows, that was a layer of detective work. I would just, all right, this Hank Beebe guy, this composer from Diesel Dazzle, I wonder if I can find him. After a while, I find him. I'm on the phone with him. He's confused. And then he starts to go, oh, this is cool that somebody cares. Then he goes in his basement, comes up with an armload of tapes and films. And that's how you get going with some of this. The Bathrooms Are Coming, the American Standard Musical, this is the only known print in the world, and it's not even a complete print for a wonderful reason I'll tell you about during the show. That came from the basement of Pat, one of the cast members. Uh, sometimes film collectors, I just happen to know, a guy at the Letterman show, Rick Sheckman, when he heard I was interested in this stuff, he went to his like back room and looked on the oddball shelf and said, you mean like this? And I went, oh, my God the Purina dog chow musical. Yes. So you get these lucky connections just because people start to hear of what you're doing and they say, Oh, I might have something like that. And luck 
just keeps following. Some of it was eBay also. I mean, a huge part of my collection, vinyl records, but also some of the films just really? plugging away, just putting certain terms into the eBay search box. And once, once in a blue moon, you hit pay dirt. This is really like a once in a lifetime sort of opportunity to see these films. They're never going to be put out on disc or anything like that, right? Yeah, all the stuff that really is in my collection or is loaned to me by other collectors is not really findable on the internet. And I know that shocks people. One time I said to somebody, yeah, I have this uh, Ham's Beer sales meeting film that was animated by Hanna-Barbera. And somebody came back on an internet comment and said, that can't be true. I just looked, it's not on YouTube. And I said, well, you're right. No, it is not on YouTube. And yet it's real. And I have it. There's a, an assumption now that everything is just always available. But uh, I'm keeping these things pretty close to the vest. There's one new thing I found in recent years that is in a very obscure corner of the internet. So I make an exception for that. But other than that, everything that you're going to see some of them you do glimpse for a few seconds in the documentary or a minute but uh, you really need to see the full surviving 21 minutes of the bathroom fixture musical or the uh eight minutes of the purina dog chow show in order to really get the full satisfaction now i remember you doing kind of a mini tour back in like late 2015 but this is like your first time really doing the show since the documentary came out post-pandemic. Yeah, I, I was starting up again in late 19, 2019, early 2020. And then, of course, everything shut down. I had a, a show on the books in Sioux Falls, South Dakota that, that went away and it's not come back yet, but I hope to get back there. But in the interim, I definitely have found some terrific new things and friends have uh, guided me towards some new finds. So it is similar to the show from the... 2015 2016 realm and we're always going to have the bathrooms are coming and got to investigate silicones and purina dog chow i doubt will ever be bumped out of the lineup but there's a bunch of new items too now is this your first time ever visiting milwaukee yes it is and uh, i'm looking forward to it i i i uh know that there's a statue of fonzie i'm looking forward to seeing that is it the bronze fawns am i getting that right you got it right that's the bronze fawns yeah Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, I will go up and reverently touch bronze fawns for good luck. Is there a worn, shiny spot on them somewhere that people touch? You know, they retouch them every couple of years or whatever. So it some of that wear and tear goes away. Perfect. Yeah, I was uh, I did do a show in Madison back in 2015. So I was close. But this is the first time entering, uh, entering into the city limits. So yeah, looking forward to that. And I see you're wearing your Milwaukee Records shirt. That was a damn good-looking T-shirt. I might have to get one. That would be the way you know you've made it. You're wearing your Milwaukee Record T-shirt with your arms slung around bronze fawns. And just like, what could be better than that? Have you had cheese curds before? Another Wisconsin state? Oh, yeah, yeah. I believe, I believe Madison, uh, my friends there, who I'll be staying with again, uh, I think they probably got me onto that. And I remember a beautiful uh, sort of tapered schooner glass of Schlitz. I think I was having the 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 full upper Midwest experience. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that you you had been treated well at your previous Wisconsin visit. Oh my God! Of course. I mean, it's it, it's. I have nothing but confidence that I'm going to come away 
grinning with delight about the whole thing. It is such a pleasure to show audiences these films. And I tell them, I envy you because you're seeing these for the first time. You can only do that once. I've seen them many, many times and I will always enjoy them, but I will enjoy watching you watching them. Other than industrial musicals, do you have a favorite musical? Well, uh, let me see if I can construct a plausible answer to that. As I mentioned in Bathtubs Over Broadway, I grew, grew up knowing pretty much zero about actual musicals. It was not something on the radar in my house growing up, or I didn't know anybody who had any connection with this. So it was always uh, like a very distant continent to me. And I knew it was a big continent and there were passionate supporters, but I didn't know anything. So part of the reason the industrial shows have been such a big education for me is because I had to learn late in the game who some of the legends were who got their start writing industrial shows. And I would show my friend, oh, look at this Ford tractor musical. And his eyes would drop when he turned it over. I get no, his eyes bugged out and his jaw dropped. And he said, oh, my God, do you know who wrote this? Do you know who these people are? And it turned out the guys who wrote the Fiddler on the Roof songs three years later were paying the rent doing industrial. So I had to catch up learning who some of the big players were. And I have uh, some favorites now. I, I do love things like uh, the Book of Mormon. I remember full, full uh, unabashed enjoyment of some of the older ones. Hit or miss for me, but I do love how to succeed in business without really trying, which I guess makes sense for me because it is sort of satirizing a weird mid-century business culture, yeah. which is very what I'm dealing with in these industrials. And in fact, I would say I have a pretty good representation of parodies that were turned industrial shows that you turned to the, that source material for parodies. You do see a lot of Broadway show tune rewrites with new lyrics and the how to succeed catalog was perfect just sitting right there for oh let's just make it about our meat packing company or whatever so you, you you'd see that so I do enjoy that yeah my parents particularly my dad huge musicals fan so we have he probably has a thousand fifteen hundred records in his collection every road trip all we would do is listen to musicals and he was always telling me oh and you know there were these things these industrial musicals so it's it's really cool to have seen your film and like put together all the things he was like telling me about and it, it was stuff that he knew of but hadn't heard so um just interesting to have like that total 180 yeah. that's unusual that a quote-unquote civilian would have even heard a rumor about that because most of the time like when I would go to record shows and say, do you have industrial shows? And, and you'd try to explain to people. And these were people who handled thousands of records a week and pulling out of attics and collections. And most of them had no idea what I was talking about. Once in a while, you get somebody who said, yeah, I might have one or two of those that I didn't bring because no one wants them. So it was a long, slow burn with that. But even the people in this world who wrote these shows had no idea of how much there was. Like when I told Hank Beebe years ago, Hank, I'm working on a book about industrial shows. And he said, how can that possibly be a good idea? I mean, number one, who's going to care? Well, that was TBD. But number two, he just thought there can't be really very many of them can there. And when the book came out, he saw the scope of 
what different people in different cities had been doing for decades. And he was stunned. He was in the epicenter of it. And he had no idea of more than one or two other people who did it. And no, it was a huge, uh, a huge, large subculture, but nobody really had a professional association for it. I've talked to people who said, I thought I invented industrial shows myself in 1986. I had no idea that. It... No, they'd been they'd been around for a while, but good try. <laughs> yeah, actually, getting back to industrial musicals, is there one that like kind of marks the end of the run? Is it the 80s? Were there some in the 90s? Yeah, it keeps shifting. The, the deeper I go and the more things I, I have uh, handed to me under the table. You didn't get this from me, but here's the State Farm 2018 musical. Wow. Really? So yeah, there has been a, a very reduced amount of it, but still some big scale, big budget things have persisted well into the modern era. I've never attended one myself yet. But I will say the golden age, I say, ended by the mid to late 80s. And that's certainly where the vinyl records stopped coming as souvenirs. But I have a lot of bootleg video that people have given me of uh, a lot of shows from the 90s. Pharmaceutical companies seem to keep doing it. Some car shows lasted into the 90s. In the documentary, I allude to the Walmart musical from 2005. But here's the here's the surprising exclamation point on this. Uh, some months ago, I was uh, contacted by a production company in Chicago who said, we we all love bathtubs over Broadway here. Are you available or interested in consulting on a project that's coming up for one of our clients? We're putting on a big sales meeting for a pharmaceutical company in San Diego, and we think they might be receptive to the idea of doing a musical. And I said, I have been training for this for 25 years. Let me at it. So it was an opening medley song parody bit to kick off the meeting. So it was pretty easy for me. I just had to write some parody lyrics that fit some pre-existing songs, but make them about the company and its mission. And so I learned about the company. I thought, these people seem great. I'm proud to help out. So I wrote this uh, batch of lyrics and everyone loved it and they said can we fly you out to san diego we'd love to have you see the the show and be at the event and meet everybody so i crossed over i jumped over the fence and started working on them instead of just collecting them in 2023 that's amazing i was going to ask because in the film it shows you performing and songwriting and i was you know with your background in comedy i didn't know if you ever thought of like making a musical make up a fake company and it's like a fake company's industrial musical. I was, I was like, man, that would be perfect for your, <laughs> your skills. <laughs> I'm still uh, sort of worried that I don't truly have musicals in my blood. I have weirdness in my blood, but I will say I have some friends in Chicago who've kind of started an improv troupe with that theme. And, and they do, based on suggestions from the audience, I guess they end up sort of cobbling together an improvised industrial musical for a made-up company as as the kind of theme of their show. So it it is rolling out in all sorts of weird directions, and I couldn't be happier because in the end, it what makes Bathtubs such a, a gripping film and all the other aspects of this is it's not just about the features of the the new tractor it's about we're all 
in groups and organizations and we all buy things and sell things and need things and we're selling ourselves constantly and our and our productivity and our ideas we can't escape these big forces of you need to promote yourself to the world and show that you have value and you can deliver and we also need to feel like there are good people around me that make me want to get up and go to work in the morning and that's kind of what was really in these shows underneath all the specifics about uh the electric power generation or the new uh Plymouth or whatever it was was these human questions and that's that's why it it goes beyond kitsch to the uh, people come out of the movie with tears streaming down their faces oftentimes I, I knew it was going to be funny I didn't know you were going to make me cry so uh I I can't say that I did that um Deva the director and filmmaker masterful combining comedy with the sort of powerful human emotions that really bring you to that weird pinnacle so in addition to writing lyrics for an industrial musical have you ever done anything like for corporations yeah I've had a few uh freelance gigs now writing comedy bits for various companies uh several uh, Silicon Valley companies I've helped out with their sales meetings but I've also now started getting uh inquiries about doing my film show as a private entertainment at a company convention or uh giving a keynote address so uh no shame in my mind with the with the doing a corporate gig I, I've I've had great fun doing it and it, it thematically matches up really well so yeah anytime somebody reaches out and says would you like to come to to Wichita or uh, St. Louis and talk to our organization I'll try to find a way to say yes <laughs> as long as the money's right you're you're willing to travel right <laughs> yeah uh I'm I'm a pretty cheap date but yeah daddy you gotta make a little money now I know bathtubs for Broadway I've purchased it digitally the film has there ever been talk of it coming out on on DVD or Blu-ray uh sadly no that seems to be a, a bit of a brick wall the distributor has I will kindly describe it as a hands-off attitude toward the film but we are very lucky one branch of the parent company uh was a music division and the people there got very excited and we were going to do a soundtrack and it was I guess like most soundtracks these days you'd figure well it's going to be a digital download or Spotify or whatever but these people in this music division said this is the perfect opportunity to do a deluxe vinyl set and we ended up with a two record vinyl edition of the soundtrack you can get it on black vinyl or colored vinyl and there's a 12 page booklet with my liner notes about each of the songs significance and what we know about who wrote them or in some cases it's still a complete mystery who wrote them credits on this stuff can be extremely spotty people assume no one's ever going to listen to this beyond next month no one's ever going to care so uh there are still many mysteries there but the vinyl edition is a real cherry on top of the whole thing um beyond Milwaukee anything else that you have going on right now that you wanted to share yeah uh, I'm I'm putting some more shows on my schedule I'm going to be in Brooklyn New York at the, one of the Nighthawk cinemas in I think it's September 19th so that's a hometown show for me 
Philadelphia in November, trying to uh, put a couple items in for October, November, maybe Wichita, Kansas, or I might be doing one in Chicago right after Milwaukee. So uh, I got to update my website, but also check out uh, the Industrial Musicals Facebook page. Uh, I'll have plenty of uh, updates there. But my my dream is to to go to every major city and some minor cities in America where there are funky theaters and uh, communities of hip groovy people who like weird stuff with a heart and just uh, get to roll around and around having fun with this stuff because uh, it sure does make people surprised and happy and I love to do it. The Steve Young industrial musical barnstorming tour. I like that. Yeah. And we're calling it the weird and wonderful world of industrial musicals. For Milwaukee, it's August 31st at the Cooperage. And uh, hopefully uh, some of your listeners will say, yeah, I've sort of heard something about that. And the, the theory being that by the time you've heard of something two or three times, you're primed to really look into it. So I'm hoping that we're, uh, we're building some momentum here. I will be there and I look forward to seeing you and the show uh, at the Cooperage on August 31st. Oh, thank you so much, Rick. Yeah, it'll be fun to fun to meet you and uh and uh, anybody else you want to bring it'll be a party thank you to steve for joining me on host and guest bathtubs over broadway really got me interested in industrial musicals so i've actually bought records directly from steve over the years so it was great to finally talk with him and speaking of bathtubs over broadway if you haven't already seen it it is available for rent or purchase on Amazon, Google, YouTube, Apple TV. As I said up top, the highest recommendation from me, Rick Hatchke. Now, as we discussed, his live show in Milwaukee on the 31st will be at the Cooperage, and it's going to feature material you've never seen before and will never see again. So just as a found footage fan alone... I'm so excited for this show and recommend it to anybody who is also fascinated at viewing material your eyes were never meant to see. Tickets are available now at cooperagemke.com. And when you come to the show, bring some money with you because Steve will be selling some rare industrial musical records after the show. So if you have any interest in this sort of thing, this is a great opportunity to build or even start your collection. Thanks again to Steve Young for joining me. Be sure to check out his website, steveyoungworld.com, to learn more about industrial musicals and to learn more about Steve's work. And as always, thank you to you for listening to this edition of Host and Guest. <laughs>